hundred times more beautiful than one hundred roses. Catchy. The guy's in advertising. He can't help it. Welcome to Ad Cinema Club, where people who work in advertising watch movies about advertising to see what Hollywood thinks is happening on Madison Avenue. I am Ashley Rutstein, and I am joined by my lovely co-hosts, David Greiner and Shannon Miller. How are you two doing today? Mm, um, I'm good. We're, we're recording this, not to get too uh, meta behind the, behind the curtain or whatever, but like we're recording this the day before Super Bowl Sunday. So I appreciate you... Ashley Rutstein as as someone who is a content just uh, just generator nonstop of great insight and TikToks and videos and takes about the Super Bowl, making time to talk about the hottest movie of the moment, the the movie that's on everyone's mind right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my brain is going a million miles a minute this weekend, but I feel like this movie in particular is the perfect little breather to come up for air in between Super Bowl commentary. For sure. Like, it's definitely a nice break before the mad- madness, even though this was a very special madness of its own. So <laughs> the, really excited to dig into this. The, it's, like, it's, it's like drinking motor oil as a palate cleanser. You're just like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> so refreshing. So... This week's movie is How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, starring Kate Hudson and Matthew McConaughey, which he is a close personal friend of both of my co-hosts. Oh, yeah. We go way back. Good old Matthew. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> Good old Matthew. Shannon and I did get to interview Matthew McConaughey uh, around the launch of his bourbon. Uh, I think he now has a tequila as well, um, but uh, his, his very fine bourbon long branch. Uh, and he's... Uh, we're happy to report, Shannon. I think it's safe to say he was a lovely, lovely man. He was a good, good conversation. Well, he incredibly charming, just easy to chat with. He had no issues um, chatting um, in general, <laughs> chatting with us. So it was um, definitely a, a time to remember. It's still kind of wild that that happened and just one day we will tell that story that will be a bonus episode all on its own if um, anyone wants to join our patreon and learn the the, the incredible tale and how we became friends with Matthew McConaughey I thought we very were, suddenly I thought you were saying we're just gonna go like dig back up this audio from a podcast we don't own the rights to and just be like hey if you pay us we will violate copyright <laughs> <laughs> Just reenact it, and I'll do my best Matthew McConaughey impression. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> every, Even better. Every single question, Ash, is just like, all right, all right, all right. All right, all right. <laughs> See, don't you want to pay top dollar for that premium, premium content? I would. So, okay, this movie was made in 2003, which I feel like was Matthew McConaughey in his prime. Like, that was before he got really philosophical. It was in his his rom-com era. And this movie was directed by Donald Petrie or Petrie. I'm not sure how to say that, but he also directed Mystic Pizza, Grumpy Old Men, Miss Congeniality. So you can kind of see some of that same humor and energy in this movie, too. Uh, He also snuck in a plug for Mystic Pizza. I'm sure you all noticed that. 
Like when I didn't notice that when they go to a, a I'm sure we'll talk about it when they go to a certain binge movie night at the cinema. Uh, one of the films um, that they are uh, mm. the marathon is Mystic Pizza, kind of squeezed in next to um, uh, it was Sleepless in Seattle and a few other. But yeah, nice little plug. Interesting. Very yeah. So so Donald actually he encouraged the actors to improv a lot in this movie. That was kind of his directorial choice to do it. And he apparently kept giving them little things to do to surprise the other in different takes. So he said that both of them were just incredible improv actors. And a lot of those little things he kind of whispered in their ear ended up being in the movie, which is really cool. Um, Mm. This, so this movie was actually based on a book by Michelle Alexander and Jeannie Long and it is called How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, The Universal Don'ts of Dating. And I could not find uh, any images of the inside of this book, but the front cover has a literal crayon drawing of a little girl. <laughs> and oh I'm boy. pretty sure that's what the entire book is. It's just very crudely drawn pictures, and it's just a list of things not to do when you're dating someone. So the plot, the characters, all of that was made up just for mm, the movie. Okay, yeah. Some things are falling into yeah, place. Yeah, that track. <laughs> They're like, we, what, if, we what if we also... could turn this uh, crayon story into an ad for Budweiser? <laughs> like to a, 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 and we're going to hand the keys to, to, to men. Right, a, yes, absolutely. A two-hour and 90-minute ad for uh, for Vagisil and Budweiser. Revlon and the Knicks. <laughs> the list goes on. So we actually, one last little factoid here. We almost had different leads. And... So Gwyneth Paltrow was in the running for the lead. Obviously, she didn't get it. Kate Hudson became our lead. And when she was cast, there was also a question about Matthew being the lead because he was 10 years older than her. So she was 23 at the time. He was 33 at the time. Did you notice this age difference and did it or would it matter to you? Um, it's not terribly evident um, in, in retrospect. Like at that time, like Kate Hudson was... I don't know if you'd say like up and coming, but she was definitely having a, a bit of a hot streak. And I think that there was just this, um, in terms of like the general public, I remember that time, but everyone was sort of collectively impressed with kind of her approach to acting because she could do comedy. She could do, I don't know how much drama she could do at that time, but she was coming up at like just the right time. Cause this was considered like the golden age of rom-coms and at that time like she seemed to be able to handle herself pretty well and I think that that's pretty evident in this movie like if me I didn't realize that she was uh only 23 until about 10 minutes before we started recording (laughs) I was very much under the impression that her and Matthew McConaughey were around the same age so she definitely held her own in this I would say I I remember when I saw Almost Famous and I thought she was like in her late 20s and I think she's mm-hmm. supposed to be like 16 or 17. Like she's uncomfortably young for being mm-hmm. like, you know, in this rock band's, uh, you know, groupie or whatever. Um, but mm-hmm. I think Kate Hudson's just one of those people who has like, she looks amazing in, uh, in whichever Knives Out she's in. I think the second one, like she kind of is just, bless her, just ageless. And so, yeah, didn't, didn't look super young. Uh, it doesn't look su- super old. She has, she has found the immortality. She is bathing in the blood every night. Yeah, and I on like the flip side of that, um, you know Matthew McConaughey, who has always looked great, still, regardless, 
33. Kind of shocked by that number. I was like, oh, that is a that is an experienced 33. But he's definitely grown into that. Um, yeah, both of those uh, leads did not reflect the age that um, I assumed that they were. <laughs> but either way, they look very good together. I feel like we'll we'll get Absolutely. into this, but I feel like their chemistry in this movie was on fire. So let's get into the overall plot of the movie, and then we'll talk about the advertising, which is what we're here to do. So we have our leads are Andy Anderson and Benjamin Barry. Andy works at a magazine, and Ben works at an ad agency. And they both get an assignment, essentially. Andy has an assignment to write an article where she is trying to push a guy away in 10 days. Meanwhile, Ben, he wants this big shot chance at his agency. And to get that, he has to make a woman fall in love with him in 10 days. So they're at at odds. They're both playing each other. They are both very determined to achieve their goals. And obviously hijinks ensue because they're both very stubborn and very determined. I love that the, the setup, like when you explain it like that, and and you're totally you, you explained it perfectly, but it really highlights the fact that hers is like my boss wants me to write an article about how to how to lose a guy in ten days, and then on his side he's like, okay, diamonds, right? They're controlled by one family. <laughs> that family needs an ad agency. That agency <laughs> has two creative teams. One of those creative te- like it is the most eighteen triple backflips to get to, and thus I must make a twenty three year old fall in love with me in ten days. And you're just like, I I don't know how we got here from the advertising side, but okay, uh, you had me at diamonds are controlled by one family and not actually rare. It's, it is true. It's definitely. One of those things where it's like, we are going to make this puzzle piece fit, even if this means we have to soak the puzzle piece in kerosene and light the bitch on fire. Like, it doesn't, doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, and I guess after a while, it doesn't need to. You just want to see at this moment, hot people fall in love. That's the end well, goal. Like, and- it really jarred me sometimes because they do a good job of setting this up. But I, I'm stealing some of Ash's uh, plot thunder here. But like that the the villains are like women trying to get ahead in advertising. <laughs> and you're like yeah i love that the villain here was ambition like, <laughs> like that is the these time. two women god just the worst they're trying to actually carve out a successful career in advertising but luckily for our you know attractive already successful white guy uh you know we're cheering for him and it really is the movie is so sympathetic toward his character i'm like i don't i don't know i don't it's not my pick. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of like the Judys. <laughs> uh, but okay, let's let's dig into that though because I, I wanted to start by talking about the advertising because the advertising is kind of just a means to get to the fun rom-com stuff. So I figured we would just let's dive into the advertising and then talk about all the ridiculous romantic hijinks later. But so Ben works at Warren Advertising and when we get our our little view into the agency, our f- our first view is Matthew McConaughey taking his shirt off <laughs> in the office. With all the windows open, just like, what's up, everybody? And they're all staring. I mean, as you would, as I mean, everyone I would. I would stare as well. Yeah. <laughs> but so we get, we get a little understanding of his role at this agency, and it, it is very much the dude accounts. He works on the liquor brands the athletic brands. And there's this other team who is a female team who has very different, a very different set of accounts. 
And that's where this dynamic starts, because he wants a little taste of the account that they're going to get, which is Delauer Diamonds. Shannon, give us a, a rundown of the dynamic between Ben and the Judies, this female team. <laughs> so um, I, I love one that they're called the Judies. They <laughs> don't even get the honor of having like distinct names. They didn't even bother. They were just like, these are two Judies. Judy Spears, um, played by Michael Michelle, absolute ba- uh, baddie. And um, Judy Green, played by Shalom Harlow. And um, it is clear that they are this sort of like power duo of women. It's, I don't want to say it's like the post-Spice Girls um, approach to feminism and entertainment because we've had plenty of evidence of like these strong female characters in in entertainment, including uh, one of my favorite shows in the world, uh, Living Single. But this is definitely, there was, how do I put this? I think that there was this sort of, interest in like women should do things question mark and the judies are a great example of that they are just these high-powered um sort of heels clacking version of powerful women and in within this agency they are you know taking a running shot at this big luxury account they don't really go into much detail in terms of like the types of accounts they run but the general assumption is that they have some experience in this area and uh for ben he wants to as you mentioned break out of sort of the dude bro markets of uh beer and sports he wants to move into the real money which is the uh you know the luxury market so the dynamic that they have immediately is this sort of like <laughs> contentious, uh, very competitive, even though they're working for the same company. At the end of the day, the money's going to funnel into the same account. It's just important. They have very different reasons, apparently, for wanting to helm this account. So it puts them immediately at odds. And again, it is a very, very sticky situation for a viewer because it is. I feel like I, I, by obligation, have to root for the Judies, but this movie really does not want me to. Um, Justice for the Judies. It's just kind of, and like, it should be very clear. Like, again, this is very much a person. This is the, the Judies are basically the manifestation of a person who is just figuring out that feminism is a thing. They don't know what that thing is. They just know that women should be able to do things. Um, even if that means that um, they are going to use their strong feminine sexual wiles to get what they want, because the duties are also in meetings like a little horny for it's, <laughs> which is an odd thing. Um, so, so yeah, there is this immediate competition to go for this big, big account. And even though the Judy's should not be villains, they are. Uh, Ash, I have a question for you about this. The setup is so. It makes perfect sense if you just watch it that he wants he wants to do more than the kinds of ads he's been stuck with, right? And that on its face, okay, sure. But <laughs> the accounts he's been stuck with, literally, they say are sneakers and beer. <laughs> like, <laughs> and the implication of his wall is that he's doing Nike and Budweiser, uh, and and right. Russell Athletics and a few others. I don't know. Like, did you feel like that was? 
how did you feel about that setup? I mean, do you think they were trying to make it look like he just wants more than anyone should want? Because those are two of the biggest categories you could ever hope to even get onto. Like if you worked at Widen and you got those mm-hmm. two accounts, you'd be set for life. Yeah, I feel like for the audience that doesn't have experience with advertising, it makes sense because beer and sneakers and athletics seem to be way lower on the totem pole next to luxury diamonds. So in that sense, I understand. But coming from the actual advertising world, you know, just like you said, we know that those accounts, the beers, the sneakers, those are some of the most fun, the highest budget accounts you can possibly get. So from our perspective, I feel like he's right where he should be. <laughs> but but there is also the dynamic of men getting put on traditionally male accounts or brands and women getting on traditionally female brands. And I have experienced that in my own career and it's annoying. Um, mm. So I definitely feel like that's a theme in this movie is gender roles. Again, we've seen that in in previous movies that we've talked about. Um, but I have been put on accounts because they wanted a quote unquote feminine touch, which is very irritating to hear. That's why you're, you're getting put on an account. But I've also been told that I need to tone down my dude humor in my writing. So huh. you can't you can't win, yeah. basically. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, That's super, awful. super fun. Sorry, sorry it got we love sorry it got real here. right in the first like twenty minutes. <laughs> I wasn't I, I had scheduled later in the episode that we would get real. <laughs> you have like 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 part seven of the episode is catharsis. <laughs> and we, we just we jumped right to it. We had to ease in, but it's okay. We just went right to it. Um, so I want to talk a little bit more about the Diamond account and what his uh, his goal and objective is here. And we have a little soundbite where we can hear a, a meeting between the Judys, Ben, and Philip, who I think is like head of the agency or something. And they're talking about why this account is so important and why diamonds require a specific touch in the marketing. Now, to date, the diamond industry has always targeted men, sending the message that the woman needs the man to buy her the rock. All right, they say a diamond is forever. We say a diamond is for everyone. Inclusivity, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but but the Judy, so the Judys are not on board with diamonds being for everyone because they make the point that scarcity is what drives up the price. So if if diamonds are for everyone and are readily available, they are no longer going to be seen as high up in the world in in terms of status. And 200 years of capitalism have agreed with them. Exactly. And and this is also where our setup for the rom-com happens because the Judys and Ben are going back and forth on how they think this diamond campaign should be created. The Judys want it to be about lust, which we see them kind of seducing Philip a little bit. To, to make that point. And then Ben thinks it should be about love, but the Judys don't think that Ben knows anything about love, which is where our setup comes in of him needing to prove that he knows about love by making a woman fall in love with him. Yeah, I, okay, th- thank you. Th- yeah, that's Thank a, you for walking me that's through That's better than the movie <laughs> because he comes in with this line, which it's a good line. It's garbage and the Judys immediately call him out on it. It's like, it's it's the kid coming into school who came up with his idea like five seconds before handing it into the teacher. It's like, diamonds are for everyone. And then they're just like, no, dude, that sucks. That's literally the opposite of everything this client wants. And then somehow within five seconds, they pivot to love and this challenge to make someone fall in love. Like, 
you you have just framed it about ten times better than the movie did. <laughs> yeah, and and this the the kind of misstep there obviously would be like the Judy's being like, you don't know anything about love. <laughs> you, obviously, he should have ended the movie right there and been like, how do you know that? We are we are colleagues, <laughs> and then end the movie. There there you are. You're done. But apparently, it goes on to um force him to sort of prove that point through this ruse. So, okay, let's let's get into that ruse. And I feel like this should have been called How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days While Watching the Knicks because that is the <laughs> core of the plot. We see this romance flourish over the course of seven Knicks games. This whole thing is Knicks spawn con. <laughs> <laughs> I love what I love about that element of this film is that you can tell that there are just so many elements that they have here to make sure that you understand that this is a quintessential New York love story. Like they made sure to pick the two quintessential New York jobs, the only two uh, jobs, a magazine, the only two jobs, (laughs) someone in advertising (laughs) and a writer for like a high fashion magazine. And they both love the Knicks and you're like, yep, bada bing, bada bing, bada boom. This is New York all the way. Um, yeah, it definitely the Knicks are also a co-star in this for sure. And and it's the shorthand, it's the writer's shorthand to the point of like I don't know who wrote this movie. Maybe it was written by someone with a deep understanding of women and they just didn't bother to put it into this movie, but like the um <laughs> they use the the they use Kate Hudson's love of the Knicks as um shorthand for she's actually a good one. Yeah, that it's definitely before we really started breaking down how toxic of an idea is like, I'm not, I'm not like other girls. I'm, I'm, I'm a cool girl. I mean, I love sports. I love to look at my colleagues eating salads for lunch. I want a big juicy burger. Yeah. Look how cool I am. <laughs> she is absolutely the manifestation of that ideal before we were like, now hold on a tick. That is actually a terrible way um, to frame your, your personhood and your womanhood. Uh, yeah. It, it all feeds into this idea of like the cool girl model before gone girl sort of tore that <laughs> down <laughs> if you remember <laughs> he's lucky to make it out of this alone. <laughs> so okay i mean because she is that that cool girl and ben is also a huge sports fan the they would naturally gravitate to each other so when they when they first meet their dynamic is i feel like very real because they're just being each other like being themselves but after their first meeting is when everything kind of changes and they both flip the switch to reach their objectives of pushing him away and making her fall in love with him. But I want to start with their first meeting because their exchange is (laughs) so strange and odd, but I feel like it sets up a perfect uh, representation of their relationship. It's like they're playing one of those old um, game shows where you're only allowed to like say one word. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they, have <to> guess. <laughs> they have to guess who you are from history or whatever. Unattached? Currently. Likewise. Surprising. Psycho? Rarely. Mm-hmm. Interested? Perhaps. Hungry? Starving. Leaving. Now? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Jesus, blathering Christ. It is definitely... <laughs> Um, feeding it, 
Not only is she cool, she's mysterious. She's, she's, she's so cool. I, I just assumed. Only uses few words. I just, is this how attractive people flirt? I just assume it's easier for them. <laughs> yeah, not as nerds. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> I feel like, so have you, uh, nerds. Have you uh, finished season two of The Bear? Because uh, I have some thoughts. <laughs> On the way they portray Stajin. <laughs> no, no passionate rants about Charizard. I don't understand this love at all. I don't get it even a little we bit. We have to form full sentences <laughs> like peasants. No, that's how it goes. Got to try real hard. <laughs> I like how all three of us oh, are married man. and we're just like, oh, God, it's so, it's so hard being a single nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I can I'm thrilled that I wasn't like in my like young adult years, like single watching this film. Because like, oh God, that's what we've got to do. That's what we've got to do to be able to like get a halfway decent. No, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Keep it down to th- to thirty words. No, no, sorry, I'll just be single. I I feel like um, that scene is what the rest of their relationship is gonna be. But after that night, once they agree that they both like each other and they both keep it in their pants despite very clearly wanting to sleep together that night um then this whole ruse begins the the 10 days starts the next day and it's basically just andy doing incredibly cringe desperate no no things that you do in relationships in order to push him away I feel like we have to each say, which was the cringiest thing that you feel like she did? Like, which one would have sent you off? Mm. Buying a pet was pretty, pretty awful. For me, for me, it was calling his mom. (laughs) (laughs) I, 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 meeting the parents is such a a big step in a relationship, obviously. But uh, in-laws are so scary. My in-laws are wonderful. They're not going to be listening to this, but if they are, I love you. Hi. Um, but the, it's still, it's such a strange dynamic. And the fact that she just like called his mom on her own and had conversations and got her to send baby pictures of him so that she could morph their faces and see what their kids would look like is just, I, I can't handle that in my brain. And his mom went along with it, apparently. Like, <laughs> had zero issues with this strange ass woman requesting baby photos of her adult son. She's like, yep. Checks out, sure, absolutely. Um, and during a time where, like, how does she get those so damn quickly? Again, this movie happens over the span of 10 days. And she had baby photos in hand, um, at, le- at least by, like, day four or five. Like She just had a zip drive, yeah, like, you- shipped out, overnighted to her. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't remember how we were sending files in 2003. <laughs> <laughs> I don't either. There's scanners. There are definitely scanners. There's like, but I, even at my height of techno- technological proficiency, I didn't know how to run a dance, damn scanner. I did not. So like that woman learned how to work a scanner to send pictures of her, uh, personal pictures of her son to this stranger. Yeah, not not, not shown. What a boundary crossing. Not woman. shown in the scenes of her having to walk tech support over the phone with the mother, or like with his mom, like, okay, you're going to want to put it face down. Okay, close it now. Now open printers and scanners. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a pretty boundary crossing moment. Um, that would definitely, I think, runs gold of like the cringiest thing she did. I think probably like 
the the second at least for me was just bringing all that shit to like a box of crap to this dinner date it's like if i'm welcoming you to my home for the first time you do not need to bring your personal effects over um to to clutter my already small space so like to have a fern like a whole fern along with multiple stuffed animals framed photos ma'am I like that you mentioned was, the fern before the fact that she bought a living dog. <laughs> oh, yeah, she did bring the dog. I mean, I always welcome dogs. So I was like, you know what? I could rock with this. But the fern, get that out of here. So it's too, it was it was way too much. Yeah, like just that sort of, uh, that was, I mean, obviously she was like taking it up the next level. But yeah, my space is my space. So I just need you to not bring all your crap over here for um, what is just supposed to be a lovely dinner. I I think the part that bothered me the most, because it's the most realistic, most everything she does is ridiculous, right? And to the point where you're like, how is this giving advice to women, right? Like if the, if the <laughs> structure of this thing is, hey, the things that you do as a normal woman are destroying your chances at love or whatever it is, right? If, if that's the point, why is she having to commit like nuclear atrocities on this guy to to make the, to make this thing fall apart? So like whatever, we all kind of everything she's doing is within the realm of the kind of thing she says. Oh, w- w- women get clingy or whatever, and um, you know the whole vibe is very anti women. I mean, like so much of this mm-hmm. is. I really thought this was going to be a movie that was fifty fifty. Like women have their problems, men have their problems, men's problems never on display in this film really other than like no. passing comment that, that this yeah. guy sleeps with a lot of women but he's great and it turns out he's awesome and really you almost never see anything bad about Matthew McConaughey he does harass a coworker sexually harasses a coworker in literally the opening yes. scene um but then that coworker like uh like shows the boss her cleavage the like there's no amount of it but um <laughs> Anyway, the the thing that bothered me the most because it is maybe too real for some people is like her controlling him when he's watching what else the Knicks game, and she's like, "Hey, go buy me a soda," even though there's only one minute left, and he does it. And I mean, gender yeah. aside, I that is a very real kind of toxic control mechanism that we've all seen people fall for, and those are the kind of like, not to get you know too dark about it, but it's like those are the kind of tests that people do to see how much can I control this person. And so that scene, I was just like, and the rest was just like over the top comedy. Yeah. And I feel like he, he clearly wouldn't have done it if he wasn't trying to get her to fall in love with him. So it's like, yeah, the seeing both of their motives play out very differently. was really, really interesting. I mean, some other things that she does, she accuses him of talking about another girl or thinking about another girl. She talks during a movie, which I would not be okay with. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Actually, no. Yeah. I rescinded my things. previous answer. It was that. It was that. Talking during her film <laughs> is one of like my biggest, biggest pet peeves. It's like we you, – you all your only job is to just shut up for two hours and laugh appropriately and you can't manage that. Um, yeah, no. Yeah, and then gets him abs- absolutely like laid out by the dude behind them, just yes. clocks him to the ground. <laughs> yes. 
And then and then he rubs his head on her chest. Oh, it's so and then weird. He's like, okay, again. That's <laughs> yeah, but it's charming. It, it's charming. It's so again, charming. It's char- you two, have to love three. him now. He, he is like <laughs> like. There's a way they could have recorded that scene where he's like rubbing up against her in some like. I don't know, but what the way it comes across is like like he's a baby piglet just like rutting around <laughs> looking for a teat. It, it is really uncomfortable, and I'm like I'm like dude just got knocked out in the hallway of the yeah. movie theater, and his first impulse is like got a got a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> just yummy, yummy, yeah, Ugh. yeah. That was uh, painful to watch. Um, so another thing that she does that I feel like we have to talk about is that they're starting to get a little romantic and she decides to name his eggplant uh, Princess Sophia. I like of all the things we've talked about so far and that's where you draw the line like, I'm not saying penis. It's <laughs> um, I, it was funny because like, as I'm one to do, I was watching the film with my husband. He got halfway through and was like, I got to just do something else. Um, oh, but- <laughs> lucky, lucky man. <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, oh, this is this is two hours. Nope, not doing it. Um, but like, he got to that point and he was just like, it was, this is a rather good point. He's like, if, if, thing, if the chemistry's there and things are like in full swing, I don't care what you call it. Like, just (laughs) at this point, you could call it literally anything. But again, there is this like low level, not even low level, but this sort of like steady level of machismo running throughout this entire film where for, for this guy in the throes of romance with this incredibly attractive woman, line drawn that (laughs) (laughs) she would dare refer to his very manly member as as a woman and not a woman but a princess Mm -mm, no no girls (laughs) allowed were spike and butch Uh, so again like very much you're leaving out the third option crawl crawl the warrior crawl the warrior king which excellent reference to crawl i was i was wondering how deep into this two-hour film we'd have to get before we got a reference to <laughs> 1980s fantasy epic crawl. It's yeah. There's um, I, I don't know. I mean, you could definitely tell in in terms of like, there, there's no question that this is a film that was largely like the screenplay is written by men, directed by men. It's basically a rom-com for men, and even with the little touches of what are supposed to be female empowerment um, are all at the service of male gaze. So even down to like, I know we kind of like talked, touched about, touched on war and advertising in and of itself. You, It starts out as these, you see the image of at least the first Judy and she's a, a very clear powerhouse and has access to these really big accounts. But then you get into like the interior of the agency and it is just man, man, like dark man cave, earthy tones. Like it is very clear that even when they're like trying to have this sort of tit for tat of, you know, gender roles, it is very clearly man coded in in every sense. So, um, yeah, fun times. Really cool I think that's a good point, too, because like they they are trying to villainize the Judies, which we've 
agreed, they should not be the villains of the story, but they are in the movie. And -hmm. you can tell that by how different they seem from the agency itself. Like just the way they dress, the way they are poised, like they don't fit the vibe of the agency itself. They almost seem like they should be in some, you know, high powered law firm or something. That's kind of the vibe they give the Judys. And the agency itself is very cool guy like lots of wood tones. It's just very, very different, which sets yeah. them apart. Yeah, it looks like they should cool work table. with like Kerry uh, Washington and Scandal or something. Yeah. Exactly. A thousand percent, yeah. All right, so later on in the in the 10 days of this relationship, um, after all of the cringy things that have happened and they are still together because he's not given up and neither is she, uh, they go home to meet his family. And this is where it kind of it kind of turns because they have some real bonding moments. And I feel like we have to talk about the shower scene because it's just iconic. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> in a I mean, cringy way for this movie, it is iconic. Uh, I mean, it's definitely in terms of like when you talk about early aughts rom-com, it, it's up there. Like in terms of like what defines this movie, that that shower scene is probably one of the bigger defining moments of that time. Even th- I mean, it's cute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like I, I've seen better showers. They're scenes. having their moment of emotional vulnerability on the literally on the toilet. Like she's sitting on the toilet the first time they have like their actual moment of vulnerability with each other. I was like, I too have felt vulnerable on the toilet, but <laughs> no one has has grabbed me off of it and dragged me into the shower. Well, and the way she puts her arms up like a child to get him Ooh. to take her shirt off just sent me. All right. Um, I rescind my two previous answers about her cringiest moment and have now replaced it with this. <laughs> When she, when she did that, I literally yelled, woof. <laughs> no, I'm not a fan of that. Don't feel good about that. And I love that. I almost feel like there had to have been some form of a discussion when she first did that. Um, because he later kind of repeats it a little bit. Yeah. But it's not as committed as that, like, take my shirt off, I'm a little baby. Like, this this whole, like, sexy baby <laughs> era of rom-com, I am thrilled that that is done. But it was, it was a lot. And the fact that it came from, like, the one moment of, like, genuine connection where you're like, oh, no, this is just who you are. Yikes, yikes, yikes on a bike. <laughs> like, like, when you talk about the chemistry, like, when you had said, oh, their chemistry is really good, my first impulse was to disagree because the movie just frustrated me. This movie is 10, ten days long um, in every possible <laughs> interpretation. I mean, we need to we need to really, like, rub our thumb on that a little, a little bit more because it is two hours yeah. long. Like, which is in 20 wild minutes. for, yeah, which is wild for... A rom-com at that time, because you had a, a tight hour and a half yeah. to dazzle audiences, usually. And I feel like usually we're going to be in this mode of, like, here's the advertising setup. Anyway, here's the plot. Let's get back to the advertising. And with this one, it's like, and then there's an hour and 20 minutes or whatever of, you know, <laughs> it just keeps going. Um, but anyway, so that, all that said, I do I do like their chemistry, and you see it the first time they go to kind of re- go in reverse for a minute. The first time they go back to his apartment— um, and they're just making out because they're both really into each other. And and you can tell it's real. Mm-hmm. And then she realizes, oh, shit, I got to pump the brakes because the whole point. Or he realizes that. I forget which one it is. But, like, 
it, you know, up until then, I'm like, oh, they are clearly very into each other. This is like, they're really going at it. And then by the time you get to the shower scene, they do kind of some weird closed mouth kissing. And then they're, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but also at this point, I'm like, how does this dude not have PTSD from like days and days of this woman going from from zero to 60 of psychosis. Um, and you know, someone's like, she's probably bipolar and they're not wrong. Like, like what, what he's describing, <laughs> like what's happening to him is extreme bipolarity. I mean, not to, I'm not making light of, of bipolarity, but it's like, yeah, it's, it would be red flags in, in the most like my guy, you are in physical danger. Um, and then he just kind of yeah. seems to like move <laughs> and like, anyway, we're having a sweet moment with my parents. It's Cause she's hot. It really <laughs> he is. can forget everything because she's hot. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, and in a wet t shirt. <laughs> and he has to, you were correct. And he has to be the good guy. Remember, like, exactly. at the end of the day, this is like the American, America's golden boy during that time, Matthew McConaughey. He, there's, he cannot have a moment where he's just like, nah, this bitch got to go. No, he's going <laughs> to, he's going to stick by her because. The brand, the brand is strong with this. Like one. the, uh, I just gotta say, Matthew McConaughey when he and it's 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 a weird moment. Like he gets he gets splashed with water, and do you remember what splashes him with water? <laughs> like when they're out riding around Staten Island, there was a truck of some kind, right? <laughs> it's a truck carrying nineteen eighties arcade games. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's a truck carrying a bunch of ar- arcade games, like cabinets. Uh, and I'm just so distracted by like I I see it coming. They show it coming from a ways away, and I'm like, "What weird tie-in is a bunch of arcade games suddenly?" Gonna, and the answer is none. <laughs> it just hits a puddle and slashes him. <laughs> but then like Matthew kind of gets his hair kind of wet with muddy, you know, pothole water, and immediately looks twenty times hotter. <laughs> of course, I was like. I hate you. I mean, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad we've met or whatever, and and that you're a good person and all that. But gee, like it is unfair. Like the next scene, he's just like, "Hey," and you're just like, "You're covered with pothole water," and you're have, you're making out with a woman on a toilet, and you're still so beautiful, but, still golden ray of sunshine, beautiful. Good guy, hot guy, Matthew McConaughey, <laughs> sticking to to his brand. Um, okay, so so we've gone through. I think like eight or nine days at this point. And it's all culminating with the Delauer Diamonds event that they have to put on. So we're going to get back into the advertising a little bit here because to prepare for this, he's trying to come up with a campaign idea and wow, the team. And at one point we see him concepting with his team. And I thought the funniest detail was that he was using a physical thesaurus. (laughs) to write his copy. Yeah, he's just saying words. <laughs> and it's and his partner's like, look at where I guess he's the creative director and he has a copywriter and a art director. But like mm-hmm. that's what I'm assuming. That, yeah. That yeah. moment I was like, Ash has got to be loving the realness, like the painful <laughs> realness of when you get to the moment where you're literally just at the thesaurus looking up synonyms for icy. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, this scene is so dumb and yet the most accurate moment of advertising we've seen in four films. <laughs> <laughs> it did feel painfully accurate and the just the physical thesaurus was just hilarious to me because I have never had to do that and that sounds brutal to have to flip through pages to find stuff but we have to talk about what he lands on for his line <laughs> his winning campaign line for Delauer Diamonds is frost yourself ladies frost yourself <laughs> <laughs> 
Which, how, how do you feel about Frost yourself? Well, you know, shout out to Andy because it came from her yep. originally. So maybe another point for accuracy. Like the guy gets all the glory for something that he stole from a woman. <laughs> so there's, there, there's that. I mean, it's just so. And the thing is, what kills me about this tagline is that we see like kind of market testing in real time where Warren sticks his head out of the window. It's like, go frost yourself. And immediately it's confronted with the the possible issues of that tagline. <laughs> it was like, hey, go frost yourself, buddy, or whatever she says. She says, frost, basically, frost this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, frost this. Um, and imme- so immediately been like, mm, we maybe should, you know, go back to the drawing board on this. But nope. It, it, it sticks because a, a cute guy said it would work. So we got to just kind of roll with it. Um, yeah, that was a, another, uh, a bit of a frustrating point is like, Oh, he's going to get the credit for what is a terrible line that he stole from a girlfriend. He, he wants to break up with very soon, I imagine. And, um, despite kind of getting a, a real time response of how bad it is. They're like, nope, we're going to rock and roll with it. I had this uh, creative director, lovely human being, um, way less filthy of a mind than me. And then I think most Americans, if I, if I, if I'm being honest. And so he would, he would come up with these lines or these things sometimes. And I felt like I often had to be the person, even though we were all thinking of it, I had to be the one who's like, no, that's about coming. Like that's, that's. that's a sex thing i like i was constantly having to be like and then and then you look like the pervert when you're the one i'm just like i listen i'm just trying to save us from the tweets okay that this 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 campaign has intonations and um and yeah when they just are like the women deserve to frost themselves they they don't need to no guy needs to buy them a diamond they can they can get that frosting all over themselves and i'm just like And I don't even know if the movie, if I, I couldn't tell, could you tell Ash, like did, did the movie know like kind of what, that it was basically making the equivalent of like a sex toy ad, you know? <laughs> you know, I honestly don't know because they, if it were just Frost Yourselves, then I would say, yes, they were in on the joke. But because they kept talking about it in other ways too, like, you know, go get yourself some frosting when they had people go pick out jewelry to wear or that something was frosted, like the chandeliers would be frosted. All of that made sense. I like the term frosted when it comes to diamonds, but frost yourself was just not it. <laughs> yeah. And I guess it was supposed to feed into this idea, um, again, where Ben is making the point that diamonds are for everybody, that you don't necessarily need to rely on a man, even though apparently he was like, but rely on this man to to guide this account. <laughs> Um, but in, in the general sense, you don't need to rely on men. So I guess it's supposed to, to fit that theme. But again, like just any sort of version of F yourself, it should be avoided probably <laughs> in general. As a tip, a little pro tip for me to you. I, I want to just avoid that road altogether. It obviously has a big impact on Kate Hudson. What, what Andy, um, because like the film quickly turns uh, unexpectedly delightfully turns into a heist movie when <laughs> when she just <laughs> steals like <laughs> some of the most valuable diamonds on earth and and I'm like oh okay let's see where this goes it turns out nowhere it was just 
a weird moment, but I for a minute I was like, oh hell yeah, girl boss taking uh, millions of dollars in diamonds <laughs> from this uh, brand function. Yeah. Like she's like, oh, I thought this was yeah, the Isadora is mine. I thought this was swag. I thought this was brand swag, like a tote. <laughs> <laughs> we don't agree that it looks best on me. I, I thought that that this was mine on arrival. So. Okay, so as, and this is my big question and probably like the source of my a lot of my notes on this film, as sort of an agency um, novice, I have to know, are these type of events real? Like these huge galas where you just walk in and are, are handed multi-million dollar diamonds to just casually gallivant in for the night? Like this just seemed... This obviously the there are ways to sort of ingratiate yourself with this potential client and to spend time with them. This felt like it was on an extreme. Like they don't even have the account yet. So yeah. but and yet they're inviting these people over to to handle some of these expensive diamonds. Is this is this a, a possibility? One, is this an event even a thing that happens in general? <laughs> I'm poor. Well, so you gotta let me know. In, at least in comparison to this, I'm not being invited to um wear like $50 million diamonds anytime soon. So one, does this event exist in life? And two, is this like an actual event that prospective um, agencies would engage in with a client in real life? I mean, I have personally never worked on a luxury brand of that capacity. So it's very possible that it's a thing and I just don't know. But I, uh, to your point about the account, like they say that they're up for the account, but this event is certainly we have the account and and this right. is our big kickoff. So I, that dynamic was kind of odd, but maybe they just kind of skipped over the fact that the agency did in fact win it. And this was just, you know, a welcoming to the client. Yeah. In the 10 days, like this is some yeah. get, like <laughs> extravagant onboarding. I mean, when you, when you win <laughs> exactly. like a, essentially a B2B account that has a, according to this film, what 50 to 60 million uh, dollar annual mm-hmm. billings. <laughs> I was like, "Damn, yeah. <laughs> damn, you're billing this this client sixty million. Then not media. Then hell yeah, throw a party, throw <laughs> invite like like turn it into the uh, as featured in the documentary film Oceans Eight. Uh, it's the it's the Met Gala. Uh, just like yeah, I don't know. I, I think as a three sixty. Oh God, I'm saying this earnestly as like a three sixty. <laughs> activation campaign built around this god awful premise um it's actually quite well done and i was just kind of like well mm-hmm. damn okay like i still don't like frost yourselves um but they yeah to your point like they made it a legit thing they made a good excuse for um just absolute eternal hottie uh bb norith uh the editor of uh, Kate Hudson's magazine. They composure. Yeah. yeah. Composure. Not to be confused with any other <laughs> C uh, magazines. It's like the biggest cause. Every other magazine, in this movie is real, but cosmopolitan, obviously they, they didn't want to make it too real, but like she, um, she it, it, they make a good reason for her to be there for the plot to, 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 you know, the denouement to come together the way it does. Cause I'm like, nah, this seems like the kind of legit event that all these people would end up at. Yeah. So this is the where everything kind of falls apart at this event because they both find out about each other and what their what their missions are, so to speak. She gets super upset because she realizes that she's fallen for him. And 
runs out, like you said, with a very expensive diamond on her neck. Um, and that is definitely just a a vehicle to make her stop and stay there for a minute so that Matthew McConaughey can sweet talk her a little bit. But it doesn't work. And very classic rom-com ending to this movie where she's traveling somewhere and he has to run and chase her down. He chases her taxi down on his motorcycle in like an action movie scene and it's ridiculous but they end up reuniting on the side of a bridge and of course there's a callback to one of their inside jokes of bullshit it's just all quintessential rom-com ending i i love that Mm -hmm. they pull over on the manhattan bridge i'm like what is she going to newark like what where is she headed um (laughs) because she's supposedly going to the airport uh but then she's like He's like yelling for her to pull over, for her cab to pull over. And I'm just like, dude, this is a public safety hazard. Like, you're all going to die if you try yeah. pulling over on on the Manhattan Bridge. But like, um, then uh, the, uh, yeah, I, the, like, the, the, oh, oh, no, sorry. I was going to say is that she pulls off like her one really inspired lie of the entire movie is when she tells the cab driver she's going to throw up. And if you if you ever want a New York cab driver to pull over with post haste, you just tell them like I'm I'm not feeling so good. Could you crack a window? That dude will let you out in in the middle of like like eighteen lanes middle of traffic. Of yeah, just like not in my car. Oh God, that's uh, I, if there's any evidence of what like the economic sort of feeling of that time was even though it's 20 it's 2003 so we were kind of like on on the decline the fact that like within days of because it kind of gets hazy after they break up that timeline there but she's on her way to like another job like or like another like job interview like immediately almost days after she's like yeah no thanks i'm gonna go get a uh high profile job in DC almost a- immediately um, because she wants to write a po- about politics. Shannon, and- you can't, there's no media jobs in New York city where you could write about important <laughs> issues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All, all dried up. Definitely. It's, it's um, such a weird, the- she's like, I have to move to Washington DC because there's no, there's no serious journalism <laughs> jobs in New yeah. York city. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> New York city famously, um, devoid of media it's positions. It's the Des Moines um, of the for... Eastern Seaboard. You've got so few options. <laughs> I I almost wish we could do a sister podcast about just media, m- how media is portrayed in film. And um, because like one, the idea of her writing a full ass article about um, how to bring peace to, to, to Czechistan, <laughs> um, like, writing a full like 1500 word essay that she knows not going to get published. The fact that for she Cosmo. even has for Cosmo, the fact that she hasn't <laughs> even has time for, for a funsies essay for some light political, um, <laughs> light political deep. Dive. I think it would have been such a great, itself. and honestly a good writer would have worked this. And so she's literally filing this opus that no editor has approved. And she's just like, I'm going to send it on in anyway. Here's, <laughs> here's my deep treatise on Tajikistan. And like, 
I think for the rest of the movie, she should work Tajikistan into every conversation. Like she should be, <laughs> she should be that person who just won't shut up. And we're like, and she's having to suppress it when she's with Matthew McConaughey because she's trying to not be herself. Because the most women wouldn't talk about Tajikistan, so she can't use that. I think that would be so funny. It's like instead of the Knicks, it's just fucking Tajikistan like political discourse. <laughs> While, while we're we're at it, while we're just having like our moment of asides, and for the folks at home, advertising does not play as big of a role in this film. So at this point, like it, it's almost an afterthought. But I just have to say, and this is like my big sticking point um, with this, they make her seem like a monster for taking him to a Celine Dion concert. And I just want to say from the row. bottom of my heart, fuck you. Yeah. Front row of Celine Dion, and she's the bad person here. Fuck you! My, Absolutely not. In my notes, Celine Dion uh, is a goddess. I wrote, I wrote, massive upgrade. <laughs> like, dude, because <laughs> correct. You, if you tell me I'm going to take you to a Knicks game, but you surprise me with a Celine Dion concert, I'd be like, you better hope the courthouse is open because we are getting married today. In love. Yeah, like, because the gag, the gag is that she's like, I got us tickets and she had already had Nick's tickets. So he's like, he doesn't ask any questions and she's like, we'll be in the front row where you can smell the sweat. And then I'm sitting there thinking, I'm literally picturing, oh, this is going to be such a dumb gag where it's like amateur wrestling or it's like, you know, something just, Mm. I'm picturing. Ice capades is what I thought. Yeah, and like, then, um, And then all of a sudden, it's Celine Dion. And they had front row. I'm like, dude, that was your prank? That was your, I'm going to get him to hate (laughs) hate me by putting him in front of one of the greatest performers in the history of Earth? (laughs) One of the greatest performers of all time. Are you serious? Oh, my God. Get men out of the writer's room until we figure out what's going on. Get him out. (laughs) Just a brief pause. (laughs) So... Oh Lord, yeah. Clearly, clearly there, are, clearly there are a lot of inaccuracies with this movie. So <laughs> I think it's time now to figure out: Does this movie deserve any award at all for accuracy in terms of advertising? Grinder, let's start with you. Uh, I give it a. I give it a. I give it a short list. Uh, not a bronze. Mm-hmm. I think that the I like the fact, and I was pleasantly surprised that although they never say creative director, I don't think they ever say what Matthew McConaughey does. He works in advertising. Um, I like that he had an art director and a copywriter. Um, I liked that they were constantly trying to get him back on point. Um, all of that felt kind of accurate, even if it was unintentional. Uh, there, there are like two fleeting scenes where we see them. One is concepting, one is a workshopping, kind of an all-agency type scene, which is so poorly written it's hard to really make sense of. But uh, but I do think they, they tried to vaguely show, and internal, as anyone who's worked in advertising, internal competition is an incredibly common tactic. I don't know, Ash, has that been the case for you? I, like, I was often put on team, like me and my partner were pitted against other creative teams and like whoever could impress the CD or the GCD the most would get to be the one to pitch the client or whatever. So that part I was like, yeah, that's pretty standard. It's not quite as like winner take all as they imply in that one, but yeah, it's it's a pretty accurate thing. Yeah, I agree. The, the, the whole premise of who's going to get to win the pitch 
just by like seducing the, the head of the agency or whatever. It was a little strange, but the competition element is definitely accurate. And there are teams pitted against each other to usually in terms of like you come up with the ideas first, then the client picks one and then whichever one gets picked, that team gets the account. So it was a little off in that capacity, but I I get the competition element. I think it did a really good job of like, at least maybe accidentally, but illustrating like what type of pressure comes with holding certain accounts and how that trickles down to your entire team. Because I think the thing that we don't really talk about in the advertising space maybe openly because we don't want to like offend clients, you know, very understandable is that like getting the chance to work on certain accounts isn't just a matter of bringing money into the agency. It's like it, it, it impedes on your ability or it impacts your ability to, to do good work, to be able to, you know, pad your resume and your portfolio with, work that could ultimately win you other opportunities. So if you are stuck with an account that isn't going to allow you to really flex creatively, then that's like a huge drag. And it it affects your enjoyment, like in terms of like whether or not you enjoy working at an agency. If you're stuck doing certain accounts or you're pigeonholed into certain markets and you're not given an opportunity to really grow whether you're an accounts person or a creative, then yeah, it is going to feel um, a little bit cutthroat at times. Like being mm-hmm. that person that's stuck um, doing certain types of creative all the time. Stuck on that beer and sneaker. Stuck on Damn. that the life. famously draggish life of alcohol and, and shoes. I think that desire to be able to to spread your wings and and flex your abilities, even in an accounts perspective, which um, isn't as often uh, talked about as like from the creative side. I thought that it did at least uh, touch on that point in a way that's like, oh yeah, that actually makes sense. Um, the rest of it doesn't make sense. Um, the idea of like you've got to make a strange woman fall in love with you. Um, to prove that you can um, be in a, a good accounts person. I, um, I'm a little fuzzy on that. But in terms of like why the driving force behind a lot of it does did in fact make sense. So yeah, a short list for sure. Ash, what what do you what's your take? I actually gave it a very, very slight bronze. It, it was going to be shortlisted, but what saved it for me was that they had the right elements in there even though some of those elements were terrible and cringy, like frost yourself, they did have a tagline. They did show concepting. They had a team structure that made sense, creative director, art director, account, whatever. The themed event I thought was pretty well done. Like we talked about, it had a really cool theme. It had um, the frosted elements that they were talking about. I I appreciated that they had all of those pieces. They had the puzzle pieces of an agency world, um, mm-hmm. but it was, it was just very, very slight bronze, <laughs> very, very close. Fair. Um, can I give a shout out to someone that we have somehow have not mentioned, even though she is the best part of the film. She mm-hmm. is the only reason to watch this film. If you watch it for no other reason <laughs> than for Catherine Hahn, 
Catherine Hahn is a, yes. undefeated. She is amazing in everything. I'm one of those like late to the party fans who discovered her with WandaVision and was just like, who is this? Yeah, and then you, Agatha all along. And then you were like, oh, oh, she's been in everything. Well, I mean, for me, like, oh, she's been in everything. And now when I, when I go back and watch something older and Catherine Hahn's in everything, you're like, oh my God, she's good. She's so good. She's unnecessarily she's good in this film plays like the friend of Kate Hudson's character who like at one point volunteers to pretend to be a therapist. Uh, very weird scene, but she, she is like in full, full form. Classic Catherine Hahn in that scene. Too. Gosh, she's so good. And so it's like, every time I started to get annoyed with this movie, she would come back in and yeah, just, she's there throughout the whole thing. A lot of these side characters you don't really ever see again, or they barely ever come back. And I was like, thank God Catherine Hahn back saving this scene. <laughs> And just <laughs> just looking amazing, perfect. Ah, yeah, just had to give her a shout because yeah. it would be criminal to finish this podcast. Well deserved. Yeah, well deserved she gets shout Grand Prix. Out. Absolutely, movie. absolutely. <laughs> any any last year. thoughts? Any last thoughts on how to lose a guy in ten days? Um, I don't know. I'm just very thrilled that this part of the rom com era is over. Um, definitely not to even downplay what this movie was back at that time. Cause again, a film starring Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson in 2003, it, it didn't get any better than that. So it definitely was a, a fit for its time. I am, um, thrilled that we don't have to return to this, uh, <laughs> era of like, just just the cool girl who all she wants to do is watch Nick's games and talk about Tajikistan. Man, like manic this. Pixie Nick's fan. <laughs> manic <laughs> Pixie Nick's fan. Um wandering in in um kitchens of uh restaurants and just plucking food from the stove. Um yeah, I'm I'm thrilled that uh we're we're beyond this. But uh, definitely interested in seeing some other movies where it's clear that there is an interest in advertising without maybe the strongest knowledge of advertising. Uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll get more of that in the future. I, I wanted to call out two scenes that we didn't really talk about, um, or at least lines, um, because it made me very happy. One is I love when movies unintentionally have a line that hits too close to home for advertising people. And for me, that is when he says that he works in advertising and when they first meet and Kate Hudson asks if if he is saving the world one keg party at a time. <laughs> like like when because he's making fun of her writing gossip column stuff, and then she shoots back with that. And I'm just like, damn, like an icy dagger into the into the existential soul of every advertising person. Uh and the other that this show did this movie for for its faults, um, what it, what it did not pay for an editor in the opening scene, uh, they they use those savings and they put it into music licensing because there is so much. Like we have mm-hmm. not talked about the early two thousandness of this entire film and like you name it, it's in there. Uh, but my favorite music moment was when she first goes to his apartment and he instinctively p- puts on <laughs> <laughs> Nelly's "It's Getting On Here." <laughs> <laughs> and what's funny about that is like up until that moment 
I had forgotten that this was not a Hallmark movie. Like <laughs> that they might actually so have sex. <laughs> they might, I was like, oh, what Nelly? What are you doing here? It's like, oh, and I'm back. Yeah, that was a, a nice like welcome jolt, but also incredibly fitting. Well, and I thought they were just going to do a cheap cop out of like him because then he realizes he literally says like, oh wait, I'm trying to get her to fall in love with me. I got to do something different. So he turns off Nelly, and I thought he was just going to turn on like classical music or you know something like classy. But no, he he like busts. Very white. Uh, it's Al Green. He busts out. Uh, <laughs> Let's stay together by Al Green. And I was like, oh damn, a yet another like add that to the tab of licensing, but. A legitimately funny, uh, you know, choice that like let's stay together. Uh, anyway, nice moment. Yeah, I was movie. I was expecting, I was expecting Barry White in that moment, but the Al Green thing I feel like added to his cool factor because again, yeah. Matthew McConaughey has to be like just the best guy ever. He loves his family. He's hot, and he likes classy music like Al Green. Like I, I feel like that was definitely trying to sprinkle in. His character a little He's bit. He's got a six CD yeah. changer in his apartment. And one sixth of that is Nelly. And one sixth of it is Al Green. <laughs> <laughs> the perfect man doesn't get more perfect. I mean, <laughs> it's, literally, it's literally like the before Spotify playlists, uh, there was Matthew McConaughey's six CD changer. I want to know the other four CDs. <laughs> Me too. I would. I actually would love to know what those other slots are occupied with. We we didn't even talk about the 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 Delauer ad at the end uh, when they finally get <laughs> oh, to yeah. like the frost yourself ad. We got so distracted which, we didn't talk about the ad. <laughs> we didn't talk about like the wood ad that's in here, which I actually of the entire movie, I was like, no, this is actually creative genius at work. Like the. It, it, is her name Delauer? Is it like Miss Delauer? Mrs. Delauer, whatever Mrs. Delauer. her first name Madame. is. Madame. <laughs> who is in the film for good solid five minutes. And those five minutes are comedy gold. Like uh, Ben and Andy are having like a fight via awkward karaoke on stage when they realize that they're playing each other. And... um. Like Ms. Delauer is enjoying the entire number. Just they are like, they are clear to butchering butchering my lady <laughs> Carly Simon. And they are <laughs> destroying one of the greatest songs of all time. And she she is like, listen, I've spent most of my ninety percent of my screen time being horny as hell. I'm going to spend the rest of it <laughs> loving this awkward moment. L- loving it, like they are tensely. Tensely um, sing shouting, you're so vain. And everyone in the, that room is like, get me out of here, except for <laughs> Mrs. DeLauer. She's like, more of this, please. All that matters. To, like, play it up, Johnny. All that matters is the client is happy at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> My, probably the most accurate point. Another, yeah, another point for accuracy is like, oh, That's you know, true. the client dug it. So we're just going to. Let it cook. And then you finally see like the fruits of Ben's labor um, where he is on set for this ad where, where apparently um, he gets to watch the VX effects in real time. Um, where <laughs> yeah, they're green screening <laughs> it and, and it's all being like animated in real time. I'm like, man, we'd be, we'd be amazed by this technology right now. <laughs> right. Like we are certainly in the future. They are in 3003 as opposed to 2003. It is, um, like, 
She's surrounded by these, not surrounded, but she's like in betwixt these two beefy men and essentially is like, don't need them. Flick of the wrist. They dissolve. And I was like, yes, a point for Miss Andrew. Get them out of here. And so she's like, yeah, they disappear into the end. She's like, just frost yourself. And it's like, (laughs) just for the, (laughs) it's like, just for the fact that they were like, whatever ad we do, we are making this woman the star. Tops, absolutely best ad. <laughs> well, out another of all the piece movies. of, another accurate piece. The client being in the ad. <laughs> right. Yeah, are we keeping score of those? Because we've had <laughs> Mr. Mom and and this one. So at least fifty percent, uh, the client has been in the ad, and so keep keep track of that metric. <laughs> uh, well, that is how to lose a guy in ten days. I feel properly frosted. I don't know about you too. Gross. Bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I do, I do love that. Reiner, what? I do love that. I'm sorry, but I love that. Like, they try to make bullshit like a recurring joke <laughs> when it's literally just a thing. They're like, well, you get it because they were playing bullshit. And now they call, when they want to call each other out on something, they say bullshit. I'm like, so does literally everyone. Rom-coms have to have an inside joke. That's what makes them so Gotta cute. Got to call back. <laughs> It's the cutesy callback. Yeah. No. Favorite. I'm, I'm, I know we sound like we were tortured. I am thrilled that this is part of the line. <laughs> I, so I, I, could not I hated this movie until this the last hour. And now I, which was a am loving good, good portion of the movie. <laughs> two hours and 22 minutes. 40% of the film. That was a, that was a beefy rom-com. That's for sure. My word. It's a Marvel movie. We watched a Marvel movie. an intermission. Of like Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson terrorizing each we other. We need a, a rock hunter intermission in that one and we'll be good to go. <laughs> Bring you're me right, Tony you're Randall. Right. <laughs> um, so, Griner, you're going to be the next club president. So what are we watching for our next meeting? All right, y'all. Um, we've done too many rom-coms. I hate to be the one to, to say it. Uh, oh, we've oh, Well, we've done too many. We've done two rom-coms, three, three rom-coms. Kind of, if you count Will Success, Will Rock Hunter. Um, so right. we're changing things up. Next week, uh, we are going to be watching the 1988 cult classic, John Carpenter's They Live. Uh, I don't know if it's streaming for free anywhere. I feel bad to make anyone have to pay money, but there are ways to watch it. Um and uh, no, it's this movie is a who, you know, is it about advertising? No, but does it center on advertising? Also, no, but is it about people who work in advertising? It is not. Um, am I using this as an excuse to revisit uh, one of the dumbest, most fun movies in which advertising plays a pretty funny role? Yes, um, but it'll be a hoot. It is an action sci fi, uh, weird late 80s moment. And uh, I'm so excited to talk to you both about it. So and uh, and to watch it along with our audience. I have not seen They Live, so I am stoked to to see that. Neither have I, Ashley. So we're going to be in the same boat. I'm really Perfect. excited to text you in real time as this is happening. <laughs> wait, wait, not the group chat. Like just Ashley. It's like well, no, no, it's me and Ashley. It's me and Ashley. Time. You are not invited. Like, what is he? My God, what is he saying by making us watch this? <laughs> Why is he doing this to us? <laughs> All right. This meeting of Ad Cinema Club is adjourned. And don't forget to water your love fern. Is that is that our Patreon? 
Oh, yeah. Uh, that's that's Patreon. The love fern of Ad Cinema Club is patreon.com slash Ad Cinema Club, where for $3, three mere dollars, we will water the love fern for you every month and provide you with bonus episodes <laughs> and provide you with the ability to help vote on what movies we should watch. Uh, and yeah, so, uh, and all the other stuff that's going to be, that I'm going to remind you about in the closing credits. Uh, but we love your support. We thank everybody who's been listening to this new show. We're really pumped and we love your feedback. So, uh, big thanks to everybody. Ad Cinema Club is a production of Batwell Studios and Big Screen Lemon. If you're looking for the best possible team to help you launch a podcast, cast voice talent, handle audio production for your ads, you should head over to BatwellStudios.com and mash that contact button. Tell them Ad Cinema Club sent you. This episode was hosted by Shana Miller, Ashley Rutstein, and David Greiner and edited by Lane McGibney at Batwell Studios. Our theme song was composed by Brad Lyons, also at Batwell Studios. If you like what we're building here at Ad Cinema Club, we hope that you'll become an official club member by joining our Patreon. It's a mere $3 a month at patreon.com slash ad cinema club club members get to enjoy early access to each episode you get to vote on movies that maybe we should watch in the future and you get exclusive access to a few bonus episodes each season so please check out that patreon we would appreciate it also please take a moment to rate and review ad cinema club on apple Podcasts. we're a new show so those early ratings are incredibly important for helping us reach new listeners uh, you can also reach us at ad club at gmail.com you can visit us at adcinema.club. And yeah, thanks for listening. This club meeting is adjourned.